Hello Centerway Church, I'm Deidre, and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hi everyone, I'm Meredith. As we get started this morning, if you find yourself on the Sunday morning live platform right now, feel free to say hi in the chat if you haven't done so already. We're so excited to be gathering with all of you, and there are a number of people we want to say hello to. So welcome to those of you gathered live on Sunday, including any watch parties out there. And hello to everyone watching or listening later on in the week. A very special welcome to any guests joining us for the very first time. However and wherever you're gathering today, we're thankful that you're choosing to spend time here. Mm -hmm. You know, we really want you to feel at home even though we're online. And we know that if you're a guest joining us for a very first time, that may be more of a challenge. And so we wanna share some information that we hope will help you as our guests. We talk through most of this information every week, but there will be some new information. So hopefully everyone here gathered will find it informative. First, if you're joining us on the live platform, you'll find tabs that will allow you to do a number of things. Um, if you're a guest and would like to share your info, we'd love to get your feedback. Or if you wanna update your information, you can do that. You can explore next steps, you can find previous messages, and there's also a tab to give for those of you that call Centerway Hall and would like to conveniently give that way. You can also ask questions or request prayer, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening to the message later in the week and you're not on the live platform, you can do many of those things that Deidre just mentioned through our website. And you can also connect with us on social media. Now for anyone out there who has questions, feedback, if you have ideas, or you need prayer, we would love to help and serve you. Please just email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Um, some other ways that you can connect throughout the week is through our website. Um, all the resources there are designed to go deeper into the message text and to help you grow in your spiritual journey. Now here's a really quick list mm -hmm. of a few of those you'll want to know about. Our team creates devotionals to go deeper into the message, and they go out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They're posted on the website, but you can have them sent directly to your inbox by subscribing to the Next Steps page of the website. You, we also um, create images that you can put on your phone or your desktop just to remind you of the weekly application. And I can't stress enough how helpful that is in making sure that the message isn't forgotten throughout the week. The last thing I'll mention is that we have a message that's just for kids. It's kid-friendly content from the same scripture text that we're about to hear. Um, if you have kids in your home, then you can discuss it and grow together as a family. There are two main places on the website to find the resources that we mentioned as well as others that we didn't. And that's the messages page and the next steps page. Well, before we finish up here, we have to talk about circles. Yes. <laughs> um, we mentioned it last week and there have been emails and social media posts about it since, but obviously if you're a guest, you're hearing this for the very first time. So for you and anyone else out there who just wants more information about what circles are, uh, details about this particular cycle or how to sign up, check out uh, centerwaychurch.com circles, or you can visit the next steps page of the website. But just quickly, circles, they're amazing. Awesome. Um, I love seeing everyone's face, laughing together, growing together, but I think probably my favorite thing mm -hmm. is just seeing how everyone really uniquely sure. applies the scripture text and the message each week. It's mm -hmm. challenging and it's amazing and I'm just super excited for this cycle to begin. Yeah. Um, and speaking of when it begins, it's actually starting this Friday the 5th. There are um, in-person options, online circle options, and then the student circle begins Sunday the 7th. And again, all that info and way more than I mentioned sure. is on our website. That's right. Um, and now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Adam will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then we'll close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. And then right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Adam with the text for today.
Good morning, everybody. How are you? Uh, my name is Adam Snyder, and I'll be reading Mark 7, 24 through 37 from the ESV. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Decapolis. And they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epitha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus was charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Welcome. Uh, my name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and uh, we're really excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in the Unnoticed series. And uh, this morning, the message is entitled Unnoticed Settling. Unnoticed Settling. Uh, as you already heard read a moment ago, uh, we're continuing in Mark chapter 7. In fact, we're wrapping up Mark chapter 7 this morning uh, with two fairly amazing stories, honestly. They kind of record um, Jesus' miracle working power, and they they actually record so much more than that, as we're going to talk about. In fact, today's uh, text teaches us actually how it is that we should approach Jesus, how we approach Jesus, how we approach God. I think more often than not, people are guilty of overthinking how to approach God. Uh, but the reality is you can also underthink how to approach God and, and kind of settle for um, an experience rather than an encounter. Um in fact, I have a lot of moments in my life where I have kind of settled for something, even though I had a vision of something different. I'm, I'm not typically a settler, I guess I would say, but there are moments that I can point to. In fact, one, uh, when I was a kid, it was in 1992, um, the, uh, the, Chicago Bulls. I was going to say the Nets first, but everybody cares about the Bulls probably more so. Uh, the Chicago Bulls were playing an, ex an exhibition game. Wow, this might be fun. An exhibition game against uh, the Nets. And it was going to be in the Syracuse Carrier Dome. And I was super excited to be able to go. One of my friends had gotten some tickets and he invited me to come. And so uh, I was there. I was going to watch Michael Jordan in person. Uh, he had just won the finals uh, the year prior, the Bulls did. And so they were champions. And on top of that, he had just played in the Olympics. And so I just, I couldn't believe it. I was over the top excited. And I remember we were in the, the Carrier Dome and there they are and they're 
so big. Like I, I could not believe how large these human beings were compared to these 10 foot rims. And so I just remember being awestruck. And, um, my friend looked at me and said, Hey, do you want to try to go get autographs? And I actually had brought some cards. And so I was like, yeah, let's go try to get Michael Jordan's autograph. Uh, I'm laughing because it's so far-fetched. Um, we didn't have really good seats. And so we had to kind of meander down and we kept going through these checkpoints. And every time, um, you know, we were, we weren't lying or anything. We were just very passionate about, come on, can't we just get a little bit closer? Can we get a little bit closer? And so we were kind of being let through by different people all along the while. And all of a sudden we find ourselves down right behind um, the players. And we're down in that lower section, not quite to the floor, but pretty close. And we're standing there and there's a bunch of people there and we're holding our cards. We're like, Hey, can we get an autograph? Can we get an autograph? They're like, no, it's not going to happen. Like, come on, can't we get an autograph? And there they are, the Chicago Bulls. We can see them. Now I'm actually a Knicks fan, but I was just excited over the top, excited to be in proximity. Uh, Derek Coleman was there and he had played at SU, but now he plays for the Nets. And I just remember being in awe of all these different players. And, uh, and so we're, we're just saying, come on, can't we get an autograph? Can we? No, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So we're standing there and we're like, oh, disappointed. And the guy standing there, he goes, listen, you're going to stand this whole time. You're going to miss a lot of the game from your seats and the comfort of your seats. It's not going to happen. You're not getting an autograph. All right, fine. So we throw in the towel. We go up to our seats and it was an amazing game. It was just so cool. Uh, Michael Jordan came out with a second left. He drains a three and gets fouled and he ends up making the foul shot. It's a four point play. It was just super cool. I go through a lot of things, but as a young kid, I was over the moon excited until, until I went to school. I went to school the next day. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the next day or if the game was on a weekend, but the next time I was at school, uh, I had a bunch of friends that had gone to the game and they were all talking about their experiences. And one of my friends was was bragging about how he had gotten an autograph. I was like, no, you didn't. There's no way. He goes, oh yeah. I'm like, no, you did not. He's like, yes, I did. You want to see it? I was like, yeah, I want to see it. And so he shows it to me. He has an autograph from Scottie Pippen. And I'm like, there's no way that's real. There's no way you got that autograph. He goes, yeah, it is. It is. He goes, I'm getting the pictures. <laughs> this will really date me, but I'm getting the pictures developed to prove it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, sure enough, I don't remember how many days went by but he comes into school and he has this picture that his parents took of him getting an autograph from Scottie Pippen. And I'm, I'm beside myself frustrated. I'm like, how did you get that autograph? He said, I told the guy that I was there for an autograph. He said, we should sit down that I was going to miss the game. And I just told him, I don't care. I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing right here until I get an autograph. And he said, well, then you're going to miss it all. And he goes, then that's fine. And he goes, I was down there to get an autograph from Michael Jordan, but it just didn't happen. He said, but I was so persistent that finally he goes, I think Scottie Pippen just felt bad for me or something. He came over and he signed a whole mess of autographs for different people that stood there like almost the whole game. I was so angry. I was like, why if I would have waited a little bit longer, if I'd have been a little bit more per persistent. I was so frustrated that I settled. And so the question I want to ask as we move into the text is this, why do we settle sometimes? Why do we settle sometimes? I think, you know, oftentimes we have that perception of God, like, oh man, I was so close to, to having an encounter with God, but I just settled. So I missed out on the healing or I missed out on the intervention. But I think that's a misinterpreted perception of who God is. And it's somewhat of a poor theology. I want to unpack a little bit of these stories. And I also want to talk about why we settle sometimes. If I'm honest, I think there are a lot of answers to the question, right? Sometimes we settle because of fear. 
Like there, there's, there's something we're moving towards and all of a sudden we're, we're fearing the consequences or, or we're fearing the risk. And so we just, we step back. And sometimes it's because we are risk averse. Like some of us out there are risk averse people. And then there are others of us that are difficulty averse. Like, wait, it's hard? Yeah, I'm settling. <laughs> like, so th it's all across this gamut of the way that we function as to why it is that we settle sometimes. But no matter the, the primary reason, I think the, the ultimate tipping point, if you will, that causes us to sometimes settle is because someone tells us it's okay to settle. I wanna to submit to you the idea that sometimes we settle because someone tells us it's okay. Now, bear with me a little bit. I don't mean that somebody's literally saying, go ahead, settle. You're like, well, there's that voice again, and <laughs> we just settle. I don't mean that like there's an internal voice where someone's like, hey, almost is actually good enough. Let's just settle, Tiger Lily. Just take, relax a little. I don't mean that. I don't mean an actual voice or even an internal reminder. I'm, I'm talking about situations. I'm talking about circumstances or even our own heart. All these things, they, they influence us. They speak to us, if you will. They speak to us in a sense. And, and sometimes the narrative they tell involves us settling for a lesser version of our one and only life. This is a really hard situation. This is a difficult circumstance. Listen, I don't know that I'm gonna get what I want here. Why am I just beating my head against the wall? Enough is enough. There are narratives that we start to believe. Something tells us that, you know what? Settling might be okay. Now, the risk here, like I mentioned earlier, is sort of swinging that pendulum to the other extreme. As you can imagine, there's, there's kind of an annoying, belligerent, extreme opposite, you know, that, that functions with almost this, this arrogant sense of entitlement. Like, I'm gonna do it no matter what. I'm a bullheaded person. I'm a, I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm just gonna do it no matter what. I'm gonna break rules. I'm gonna get it done. And when it comes to the way we function with God, hmm, he's gonna do what I want because I'm not moving until I get my healing. <laughs> you just tell God he's gonna intervene and he will. I mean, you will manipulate God if you try hard enough. Makes no sense, right? We say things like, God, I deserve this, or you, you, you have to give this to me. I've earned it. You know, you owe it. There, there's these extremes. There's these extremes. So what does it look like? What does it look like to have a more balanced approach? Because that approach to life and to God is equally misguided as the one that immediately settles or withdraws, the one that throws in the towel. What is the answer? What's the, the balance, if you will, the healthy way to approach God? Well, let's look. Let's look, because I believe this text this morning reveals it to us. Beginning at verse 25, it says this. We, we see that um, Jesus is heading to a region that uh, is occupied by Gentiles. So he's done a majority of his activity at this point in the book of Mark um, in Jewish communities. And so now he's going to a place where Gentiles live. And so he heads out to, um, to this place and immediately, it says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Okay. So we have Jesus kind of leaving the, the Jewish people for a little bit of respite, a little disengagement, and immediately, but immediately, this woman comes out and pursues him and falls at his feet. 
I want to give a little bit of context so we can understand before we jump into the story a little deeper. Um, this woman is a Gentile, as I've already mentioned, but it's not only that she's a Gentile by custom. Uh, verse 26 actually tells us that she's a Gentile by birth. And so that's important to understand because what it means is on every level and in every way, she is not a Jew. She is not a Jew, which means she does not worship God. She does not worship the Israelite God. So she has potentially no understanding or knowledge of even who the Messiah would be or why she would care. At the very least, we understand for sure she is not a worshiper of God. So she's irreligious, and that would mean that she's classified as a pagan. Now, that could really mess with your theology if you hear this whole story and understand the context that this woman is literally a non-believer of God, and yet she calls out to God, and he responds. Some interesting uh, dynamic here. Let's continue with the context. She's a woman, as we all know, as it says, and this is a very sexist society, okay? So we have a non-believer in God, a pagan woman, a woman in a sexist society. She comes to Jesus on behalf of her daughter, not her son, okay? So again, sexist society. So Pagan, woman, daughter. And she says that her daughter is not just ill. It's not that she's sick. She actually says that she has an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit. So it's a this is a, a demon possession situation. So there, there's a, a demonic presence which is unclean. So she's unclean. Her daughter's unclean. All, absolutely everything in every literal way equals she has no business and no right interacting with Jesus. No right whatsoever. In fact, according to custom, if she had made any physical contact with Jesus, he would have to go through a, clean, a, um, a cleaning process. Now, we've seen him in the past, uh, if you've been with us for any amount of time, when he encounters the unclean, he actually makes clean the unclean instead of them defiling him. So there's a lot of dynamic here, and in every way, she has no right to come into his, even his presence. But she refuses to settle. She refuses to settle. And at face value, it looks like the way we get what we want from God is we just refuse to settle. But there's more happening than that. She falls at his feet. In fact, the next verse actually says she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She begged him. Now, the begged, uh, the Greek word used here for begged is in the present progressive tense. And so what does that mean? It means that she just kept on begging that it was a continual process, that she came in, immediately fell at Jesus' feet and continued to say, will you please, please heal my daughter? Please help this unclean spirit to come out, cast this demon out, and just continual, ongoing, present tense begging. And Jesus responds. He responds in a way that might actually seem offensive to us, but he's not actually calling her a name. As you heard in the text, if you were tracking when it was read, it might sound like Jesus is calling her a dog. And although the illustration would somewhat reveal that, he's actually telling a parable. He's telling a parable. So let's kind of put that lens on and look at verse 27. It says, and he said, meaning Jesus, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's saying, I've come first for those that worship God. 
I'm coming for the people of Israel. That's why I'm here. I'm here for my children. I'm here to feed my children first. And so in that, in that parable, he is essentially saying that Gentiles and anyone that is not Jewish are the dogs in that illustration, are the people that are secondary. Now, it doesn't mean that he's calling them a dog. He's saying there's an order. Children first. So the parable is, wait your turn. Wait your turn. That's what he's telling her. And she responds in a way that blows my mind. And it should blow your mind too. She responds in verse 28 this way. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, don't miss this. She gets the parable. She understands it. Jesus tells a parable to her. And instead of being like, wait, you just call me a dog? <laughs> wait, are you saying that we're like second class citizens? Are you confirming everything I've heard about Jewish people towards Gentiles? Like, are you racist, Jesus? She doesn't do that at all. She realizes this is a parable and she gets it. But she doesn't just comprehend it. She steps into the parable. Think about that for a second. This blows my mind. She says, oh, I understand what you're saying. And I accept it. She accepts it. She accepts the parable. She steps into it. Listen, persistent faith doesn't look like demanding. It doesn't look like demanding. The American church demands things. We just, we just demand things. We love it. It resonates with us. And so when our rights are violated, anything like that, like, hey, wait a second, I have a right to this. And so we, in turn, obviously, it only makes sense, in turn, we logically then put that towards God and say, listen, the American Christian demands what they deserve from God, as if we've earned something, as if we have a right to demand things. Get this, you can accept something without settling. Think about that for a second. You can accept the reality of a situation without settling for it, without staying there. She accepts the reality of what it is that he's communicated, but she doesn't settle for the implications. One scholar says it better than I ever could, and so I'm going to quote him. He says this. He says, she is saying, I'm not coming to you because of my goodness. I'm coming because of your goodness. Think about that for a second. Like, yeah, Jesus, I, I get it. I get it. I'm coming out of order. I have no right to be here. I understand. I, I'm a pagan. I, I don't believe in the God of Israel. I understand that I'm a woman. I understand that I'm talking about my daughter. I understand she has an unclean spirit, but I'm not here because I deserve it. I'm not here because I'm entitled to it. I'm here because you are good. Hmm. Think about that. That is such an amazing snapshot of what it means to be a person filled with faith. She is not offended. Instead, she basically says, I get that I'm not worthy. Accepts it. And then looks at him and says, but doesn't your provision overflow? Aren't you a good God? She's calling on the character of God. And she's saying, but doesn't your provision overflow? Can't we eat at the same time? 
When the crumbs fall off the table from the children, can't the dog eat at the same time that the children do? You see, it's not a reference of, of dogs and children. It's a reference to timing. First and then next. And she's saying, but why not at the same time? Mind blown. Honestly, my mind is blown. In case you're not following chronologically, this is why my mind is blown. A pagan woman is the first person in the book of Mark to understand one of Jesus' parables. <laughs> Imagine that. Like we're in the midst of a series called Unnoticed because his disciples are walking right alongside and a majority of the entire Jewish community are not noticing that the Son of God is before them. And yet this pagan woman understands the parable. He says it. She goes, I get it. I understand. I understand. But I'm not here because of my goodness. I'm here because of yours. It's incredible. She articulates. She comprehends and articulates the gospel. We don't get from God because of our goodness. No. It's... We are in relationship with God because of his goodness, because of his willingness to have mercy and grace in the midst of our depravity and our sin. She understands the gospel. If we read on in verse 29 through 30, Jesus acknowledges this. And I can only assume his disciples are confused. <laughs> verse 29, and he said to her, Jesus says to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. Incredible. She could have just settled and been like, okay, I get it. I'm, I shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. Right. I shouldn't have asked. I, I know better. I know better. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'll just back out. I promise I won't touch anything. We're good. She could have been offended. Did you just call me a dog? Right? There's so many different ways that this story could have gone. And yet... She refused to settle and then she leaves like a boss. Like she walks out. Here's the deal. 100% honest. Like even if in some way I make all the right calls that she does, that, that I'm unwilling to settle, that I remain in there, that I understand the character of God enough to, to say, but wait, you know, doesn't your provision overflow? This is your goodness at play. Even if I do all of that, I still don't understand her just walking out. Okay, got it. Thanks. I'd be like, so we're good? Like, so if I leave now, she's healed? Deem like demon gone? Like totally gone? I'm leaving. Here I go, Jesus. You gonna come with me? Like, I would have asked a million questions. She just literally like a boss just walks out. <laughs> walks out and just basically says, Jesus said it, so I'm good. Listen, it's faith that won't settle while accepting that God is God. Think about that. If he would have looked at her and said, not going to happen. Okay. Right? Because everything about who she is and everything that she has displayed at this point is that she is calling upon the goodness of God and accepting the reality that he is God, or at the very least, he is in charge of this situation that is beyond her ability to rectify. Faith that won't settle 
while accepting that God is God. Well, this section of scripture doesn't end there, and we can really learn from both of them in conjunction. So let's go on to Jesus encountering the next person. He encounters a man next in verse 32. Verse 32 says this, And they brought to him, Jesus, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged, they begged him to lay his hand on him, to lay his hand on him. So we're going to come back to a word in this verse in a moment. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But his friends won't settle. His friends beg Jesus for their friend's healing. One of the things I want to ask you as a side note, are your friends settlers? Like sometimes we can settle and believe the lie you know, and just kind of disengage and and back away and say, I get it. I don't have a right to ask or whatever. What about our friends? Have we surrounded ourselves with people that are truth tellers that are saying, listen, don't settle here. Don't. And I don't mean materialistic things. I don't mean like, hey, you deserve that job. You get it. I'm not talking about pep talks and cheerleaders or anything like that. I'm talking about truth tellers that tell you things when it's hard, when it means that it might actually damage the relationship, that they love you enough to say, here's the deal. I'm going to beg on your behalf. I'm going to go and storm the heavens for you. I'm going to intercede with you. I'm praying with you. I'm standing beside you in this difficulty. Just a side note to consider. Jesus does some pretty weird things after this. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 33. Verse 33, it says, And taking him, this man who is um, deaf and has a speech impediment, he takes him aside from the crowd privately, and he puts his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. What? Like, everything about that verse is very disturbing to me, quite honestly. (laughs) I don't want anybody sticking their fingers in my ears. I don't want anybody touching my tongue, but I certainly don't want them touching my tongue after they've spit on their own hand. Like everything about this is creepy at face value. So why? Why is Jesus doing this? Why does he do it? Is it to teach people how to pray for deaf mutes? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Like, If you've ever been in a situation where someone uh, wants prayer because they can't hear or because they can't speak and somebody starts sticking fingers in ears and licking their fingers, like walk away, run away, right? This is not a teaching session. Jesus is very clear when he teaches the disciples something. He says, this is how we ought to, or this is how we deal with. He doesn't do anything like that. So this is not a, a way to, on how to pray for people with this difficulty. He's not teaching anything. So why do you do it? Is it because he needed to? Like, is it a ritual process? <laughs> that seems asinine, right? It doesn't make any sense. Like, Jesus would not need to do that. He just now said, uh, the demon that's in your child is gone. I haven't met your child. I don't know where she is. Like, you haven't shown her to me. Healed. Right? So all the evidence, everything we know about Jesus up until this point in Mark proves that he doesn't need to touch ears or to spit on fingers. So why? What, what is he doing? Why is he doing it? I want to submit to you that he's doing it because the man he's healing needs him to do it. He's doing it for the person he's healing. Some commentators 
say that Jesus is actually speaking sign language to the man. Isn't that incredible? That he's actually communicating, like, I'm going to loosen your ears and I'm going to allow you to speak. That he's explaining to this person that he's going to perform a miracle in the name of God. It's so remarkable because then Jesus looks to heaven and heals the man. Heals him. It's an amazing experience. It's a miraculous work that we see God do. And it's a very uh, amazing picture of the consideration and compassion of Jesus. He doesn't make this man a spectacle. He pulls him aside privately and then communicates to him in a way that this man has communicated and then heals him. It's profoundly personal. There's a word that was used in verse 32 where it talks about this man being deaf and mute. And the word that Mark uses is actually a very rare word. It's a rare word that would not typically be used. That makes you wonder why did he use that word? There were other ways to communicate this man's circumstances in life. There's only one other place in the Bible that the word is used, and it's in Isaiah 35, verse 5. Isaiah 35, verse 5 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's where the word is used. Isaiah, in chapter 35, in that section of scripture, is prophesying about the Messiah, and is saying this will be a mark of the Messiah coming. And so, Mark is actually using a rare word intentionally to connect it to Isaiah 35, 5. He's, he's making a direct connection. So who Jesus is doesn't go unnoticed by the readers of Mark. He's saying, in case you're not following, he is the one that Isaiah was prophesying about. This is one more indicator of what Isaiah said the Messiah would be doing. You see, if we put these stories together, if we put together all that we've learned today, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, became the dog so that we could become children of God. And he was silent when he was wrongly accused so that when we call out, he hears and God answers our prayers. Listen, he died the death that we deserve. He paid the penalty, the price that we deserve because of his goodness, not because of our goodness. He was our substitute. So we should not, no, we must not settle. We must not settle, not because of a sense of entitlement, but because it actually discredits that which Jesus did for us. He, had, he created an environment for us to be children of the living God. And so to push away and to say, I'm not worthy to pray this prayer. I don't have a right is to imply that in some way, Jesus' work is not complete. And yet, on the other extreme, to demand, as if we some way deserve it, is again to discredit that which Jesus did as an act of grace and mercy, not because we are good, but because he is good. And so somewhere in the middle, we approach God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because he took our place. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of God as children while being submitted to and accepting the Father's will. That's it. That's the balance. We come boldly as children while being submitted and accepting the Father's will. Okay, your will, not mine.
I come before you as a child because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I come begging you, Lord, would you show mercy? Would you do a work? And yet your will, not mine. That's what Jesus even models in the garden before he goes to the cross and dies the death that we deserve. We can be children of God because of that which he has done. So I ask you, are you praying that kind of faith-filled prayer? Or are you settling? Are you settling for a lesser version of your one and only life? We say every week that the text requires something of us, and so I have a challenge for you today. I want to challenge you to write down something you're believing God to do and pray with faith. That kind of faith. Write down something you're believing God to do and pray with faith. Write it down. Think about the things that Jesus has whispered into your heart and mind, the promises that that you feel that come right from him and, and dare to pray a prayer of faith. For some of you, this morning, you might say, this whole concept is new to me. I, I'm, I identify with the woman in the sense that I am not a worshiper of God. How dare I come and ask anything of, of God? To you, I would say this morning, you can cross that line of faith. You can come into relationship with Jesus Christ. The good news is that you can make a decision right now. Whether you're live with us, and if you are live with us, I want to encourage you to, to press that prayer, uh, the prayer button, and you'll go into a private conversation with one of our hosts. It can be as simple as this, praying a simple prayer. Say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I know you died for my sins. Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? That's how you begin a relationship. If you're listening to this later on, you can reach out on our website or through email. We'd love to have a conversation about next steps so we can partner with you as you continue to pursue Jesus. For others of you, If you've already crossed that line of faith, I want to challenge you. When was the last time you you wrote down? And and the reason why the preaching teaching team talked about writing it down is because it's so easy sometimes for words to tumble off our lips. I'm like, oh, God, I'm believing for this. Or, hey, would you intervene here? But no, take the time to write it down and pray a prayer of faith saying, God, it's, it's not because of my goodness, but it's because of yours. Would you do a work here? I just continually beg you, God, that you would intervene. There's some areas of your life that you've settled because of the voices of others, because of the lies of others, because maybe of the lies of your own heart, the ways that you've settled, and I want to challenge you to move beyond that. That's what this text is about, to pray prayers of faith. For others of you that say, I I am a a person that prays prayers of faith. I, I sometimes even write them down. I've done exactly what you're talking about. To you, I want to challenge you to to go to that next level, right? We're never done outpacing the word of God in any way. You're not beyond it. And so if you're a committed Christ follower this morning, what does it look like to write something down that you're believing God to do and pray with faith concerning the salvation of others? In other words, are you living missionally? When was the last time you invited someone maybe to, to be a part of a watch party in your home during this season? Or you've shared this message or another message and just said, listen, I've, I've been praying and I, I just want you, to, I want you to listen to this. I want you to watch this. Maybe it looks like a spiritual conversation that you need to have because of a, a faith-filled prayer that you've prayed over and over again about this person that you believe God's just directed you to influence. I don't know what it is, but I know that the text requires something of all of us. So let's take time to consider what that looks like.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that it's it's not about what we can conjure up or what it is that we can accomplish because of our efforts or our best behavior or anything like that, Lord, that it's because of who you are, because of your goodness, because of your grace and your mercy, that you're personal and loving and compassionate and that you know us so intimately. And so, Lord, we declare ourselves available for your move in our lives, for your work in our lives. And we pray prayers of faith not because we deserve it, but because you're a good God, because you're a good, good father. And so we submit to you and we ask that you would come and move in a profound and dynamic way for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited to see you next week as we continue in our series, Unnoticed. Thanks for being with us this morning. We love gathering online with you and growing together really want to encourage you to take time to respond to the word this week. One of the ways to do that is to spend time writing down something you're believing God to do and pray with faith. Remember that we're not praying with faith to get what we want. We're praying with faith because God is good and we can trust him to do what only he can do. That's so true what Deidre just said. And I think that coming to God with that mindset is really healthy and it positions us to be in his presence. And being in God's presence is a game changer in so many ways. Now, there are a lot of ways uh, to do that and many ways to worship, but one way that we can do that right now is by singing together, if you're with us live on Sunday. Uh, We're gonna do just that, and if you're connecting with us at another time, you can find the video on Facebook or you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for our unnoticed playlist. For those gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.